Hello, church. Thank you for listening to the Gallery Church Podcast. We're in a series based upon the book of Colossians. We are attempting to study this letter to this gathering of people so that we can learn from them and increase in our faith, hope, and love in our city at this time. We hope this is a blessing to you. And if we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out and let's get back to the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Um, My name is Maddie, for those of you who don't know me, um, and I'll be reading our Old Testament scripture from Ezekiel 34, 25 to 31. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests in safety. I will make them in the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the Sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. May God bless this reading. Hi everyone, my name is Manu. I'm gonna be reading our New Testament lesson for today. It comes from Colossians 1, verses 3 to 14. Colossians 1, verses 3 to 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here ends the New Testament reading for today. Thank you both very much. Um, So we're getting ready to spend a year, like when I say a year from now until May, going through aspects of the book of Colossians. So let's just imagine, since it's raining outside, that the book of Colossians is going to be our umbrella for this entire teaching year. Now, we're not going to necessarily be in every verse or every chapter every week, but it is going to be a 
structure, or for the sake of our illustration on the screen, it is going to be the tree, the core, and everything else we're going to do builds off of it. And so when I say that, we have a authoritative issue in our world today. Who has authority? Who has the right to tell me what to do? I want to think for myself. When is it okay to think for myself? And when do I go against authority? Like I've even heard um, in testimonies of things happening that there are people right now that are not coming to church because they just don't trust people like me. And I'm not just talking about a white male because that could be an issue all in itself, but it also could be that I'm a pastor. And so people are like, well, what pastor has the right to tell me what to think about God anymore? Like there's so many ways. And then you throw that, that into the mix. Then you throw in the mix of, well, some people don't think the Bible's trustworthy. And so that's their hangup for wanting to come and listen. So where is, is there authority in the scriptures? Is there authority in the Old Testament? Some people that love the Bible only think that there's authority in the red letters of the Bible. And there's no authority in other parts of the Bible. And so I just want you guys to understand, we're going to use the book of Colossians to hang all that over the course of the year. And so with me saying that, you need to understand we are not going to be here all day today. So we're not going to have time to get into every single issue that I talked about and a whole lot more. But I want us to know this is there are ways that we can study the Bible. There are ways that we can do that in community, ways we can do that as individuals. There are bad voices. Can I just tell you that? There are people we need to ignore. There are people we need to tell you no longer have a voice into my life. There needs to be moments where we say those kinds of things. But there are also moments where you do not want somebody to say something to you, but that's the person you ought to be listening to. And so it kind of goes kind of both ways because we want to, and we're training ourselves to be these incredible thinkers, and we're training ourselves to get a, uh, like to have a path and a trajectory for our lives, but yet when we find ourselves in the confines of Jesus, we find that Jesus is growing, is growing us more interconnected than he is apart. And so we actually chose this graphic because in the summer reading book that we offered to you guys from Pastor Steve Carter, The Thing Beneath the Thing, he used the redwood trees as an illustration. And so if you haven't read the book, I don't want to give it all away, but I am going to give away the redwood illustration here just for a moment. Because a redwood tree, as massive as they are, have a very shallow root system. Have anybody ever, has anybody here been to a redwood forest and actually seen the redwoods? Okay, a couple of you. Morgan, you were in California. You never went to see? Really? Oh, man, we got to get out. Like, let's, let's do this. Um, but so only one of you have seen an actual redwood tree? Okay, a couple. All right, there's a few more hands. All right, I'm, I'm getting there now. All right, so thank you. When I ask, just be bold. Like, make sure I see you. All right? But the redwood trees have this interconnectedness through their root system that not only do, does it provide strength for all the trees, because the trees' roots interlock, but yet, the, uh, I guess, people that study trees, there's a technical name for them. I'm, I'm, I'm eluding me right now in this moment. But when you, when you look at the way that they've been studied, they've realized that this side of the forest could be close to water, and the trees on this side, root systems, is pulling the water and sharing it with the rest of the trees through their root system. So even just the idea of the power of the interconnected roots, because they are the largest and tallest trees in an area of the country that there is high wind. 
there are massive storms that do come through that area. And you know, by just leaving an umbrella up at your house, that when the wind blows, it can push things over. Even our Baltimore City trash cans and the neighbors that leave things out. And every day on recycling day is the day that it's windy in Baltimore City, right? Have you guys noticed that? Um, And so the, the cans are pushed over, the debris fly, like, There is a wind in this world that's a spiritual wind, and our roots need to be interconnected. We are not meant to be a tree planted by the rivers of water by ourselves. But yet, because there's psalms that say you're like a tree planted by rivers of water, you and I go home and we're like, God, I'm so glad I'm a tree planted by the rivers of your water. And but God's like, yes. But you need to understand, I said that to everybody, so everybody's planted by that same river, and so there's no way that you can be planted with me by the river and not be interconnected to your brothers and sisters. And so there's so much. So let me ask a couple of questions, and I want you to talk about them, and then I don't know how this is going to work with our online audience, so figure it out. Um, So, um, but what is the Christian community to do? Answer that question. Turn, turn around to a couple people around you, and I want you to just talk to each other however you want to answer this question. I'm not going to lead you anymore. Then this is the question. What is the Christian community to do? You have two minutes. Talk to somebody about it really quickly. I want to get some answers out of you. And for those of you online, maybe you can call somebody, phone a friend, like it's a trivia show. But what is a Christian community to do? All right, all right. So let's, let me hear from you guys. So stay, stay in your groups because I, I have another two questions I'm going to throw at you. So come on, talk back to me really quick. Um, and if you're online and you have my number, you can text it to me and I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll see if something comes through. So what, uh, what is the Christian community to do? Talk to me. Love people. Love people. All right, very good. What else is the Christian community supposed to do? Depend on each other. Okay, checking in. What else? Yeah. Yeah, so pulling from the prophets, this idea that we are to be rescuers of um, oppressed, captive, orphan, widow, people in distress. Even looking at Mary's song that she sang before or after the birth of Christ, even this, this, uh, the beauty of um, the mission of the church, the justice relation. Yes. What else? What else is the church community? Ellen. Mm. Yeah, like we're, yeah, we're actually to help each other look more and more like the image of Christ. All right, so here, here's the second follow-up question of this. So how do we speak and live the gospel in the context of our lives here in Baltimore? So based on what I'm saying, is everything you just said, how do we do that here in Baltimore? Talk to each other about that real quick. And it's just whatever comes to mind. You're like, man, if I knew I was coming to church and have to think, I'd have had an energy drink. So, all right, so come on. All right, so how do we speak and live the gospel in the context of our lives in Baltimore? Give me some answers to this. Do I need to get a chair to wait? Or are we going to... 
Come on. Yeah. Yeah, so there's so many overlooked communities in the city, um, and Michelle specifically mentioned some of the, those that do not have a residence, um, and then uh, young men in our city. What, are, what's, uh, what, what, else, what is another way that we should be expressing the church in our context? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Andrew's mentioning the fact that the, the churches and religious f- communities, because sometimes that's in the shape of a nonprofit and other expressions, but they, there, sh- there should be more um, uniformity, oneness, uh, teamwork in the way that we are doing it rather than every church trying to do it in isolation. Yeah, anything else? All right, this third question we're not going to take time to talk about because I want my wife to still love me after Gallery Kids is over. So, um, so here's the third question. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to tease you because it is a major part of the underlying re- reason why the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church in Colossae originally. How do we shape our collective imagination as followers of Jesus in such a way that we are set free from the constricted imagination of our controlling earthly powers? I wanted to just let that rest on you just for a minute because there's a lot of words in that question, but there is an entire letter in this New Testament that we call the book of Colossians that is talking to a group of people about Jesus and following after Jesus in a culture that wanted to control people's minds. And I would say that it's very likely that the culture that we live in also wants to control our thinking as well. And so, like I said, there's going to be so much that we're not going to have time to talk about today. So we're going to be getting into a lot of things that are going to be impacting this one particular question over the next seven, eight months. And so here, Paul is writing to the Colossians with one desire. I want you to hear this. One desire. And that one desire is is that they grow into full Christian maturity. Now, I could spend the rest of the morning talking about Christian because there are a lot of you that even some of you online that do not want to come to church anymore because of January 6th because Christians attack the Capitol. That's the mindset behind a lot of people in their thinking right now is that was a Christian activity. And so I don't want to be a Christian. So when I say in this particular chapter or this particular teaching that Paul's desire is for us to grow into full Christian maturity predates any reputation that the word Christian has right now. Because in Paul's time, Christians were called Christians because they looked like who? Christ. So the things they were doing, the way they were loving, serving, eating, elevating the poor, 
providing food to those that were hungry, giving back land to, to, to people that it had been taken from, like all the things that Jesus had been teaching and doing and modeling, this group that was now formed in the church of Colossae was actually looking like Jesus would have lived. And Paul wanted them to reach that to full maturity. So now my challenge is as a pastor in 2022, getting ready to turn into 2023, after a couple of years of a pandemic and living in a city like Baltimore where there is so much struggle, I have to now say to you, let's reclaim the name Christian. Let's not ditch it and come up with another one. We are following Jesus and we must be accused of looking like Jesus or we're not living the life of Jesus correctly. And that's the heart behind what Paul is saying to this church. So if you were here two weeks ago, we were in the courtyard. I read to you verses one, two, and three. Let me just remind you of where Paul set the tone for this chapter. It is in the light that he, and I say light, it's a capital light. It's Jesus. He's the light. He's the one that has the ability to push back darkness. He's the light. That light can be in us. And in that greeting that Paul gave to the church, he was giving them theology lesson that integrates all throughout his letter when he greeted them with this grace and peace from God our Father. He was reminding them that everything in their faith is rooted in the fact that God was gracious. God was gracious. When nothing was deserved, grace. When we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, grace. It was Paul is reminding them, even going back to some of their Old Testament prophetic writings and poetry and pulling all of that image towards them and saying, I just want to remind you that we have the footing that we have in this world today because of the sheer grace of God. And then he's like, peace. But this isn't just like peace like we do when we're trying to be kind to people that have been mean to us, like they're giving us other fingers. And so we're like, I can't return that finger. So I'm going to give you the peace sign. You know, it's like, so there's ways that we're just, we just minimize peace. But this peace that Paul is reminding them of is the true shalom. And that is like the Old Testament passage that Maddie read for us, where you and I could go camping anywhere in the world and not be eaten by an animal. That's shalom. That's the way God intended it to be. So anything and everything that we've ever experienced, like I was even watching, I turned the news on this morning while I was getting ready and realized that somewhere north of us, some family was having a, a, a birthday and a black bear came up and ate all the cupcakes off the stand. Like, all right, now thankfully there were no children involved, right? But hey, but, but the bear interrupted the party, but yet the kids have a forever memory, but there's gonna become a time when we're gonna be able to treat that bear like boo-boo. Like we're just gonna be able to go up to him, nestle up with it, like it's gonna be fine. We're not gonna be competing. We're not gonna need to live in fear. I could take a hike in Colorado with my friends, the Cataldos, and not worry about mountain lions. There's so many things that we'll be able to experience in the future because the peace, the shalom, the promise of God is going to come to fruition. And so there is a... A belief system in what Paul is saying to them, that this peace brings blessings from God into God's covenant family. And so we're going to be talking a lot this month about what it, why we choose covenant as the language and the expectation. The expectation for the membership of a church should be higher than we could reach because it's like Jesus. 
It shouldn't be substanders like, okay, let's just not lie, cheat, and steal from each other, which is minimum human effort. What does it really look like to be fully mature in Jesus Christ? And so if you don't realize that, all of that is in the first three verses of Colossians chapter 1. But there's also a Jewish tradition that we're going to be referencing throughout the whole year. And it's actually called Targum. Has anybody ever seen this or heard this before? It's T-A-R-G-U-M. Anyone ever heard this before? Targum, yes, there is. So Targum is this Jewish Aramaic translation of basically the Torah and the prophets. So if I was a Jewish rabbi, going back even to the times of, of the nation of Israel and the promised land, there were, there were times when they would come up against other Jewish people that had, because of exile, were living in other places and did not understand their native language anymore. They didn't understand Hebrew. They couldn't read Hebrew. And so the rabbis could do a what's called a targum, which basically was a, I'm going to translate Hebrew into your language so that you understand Torah. You can understand the words from Moses. You can understand what God said to us as a people. Now, the thing that I want you to understand, and we're going to talk a lot about this when we're referencing how to study the Bible and why are there so many Bible translations. The Targum was not intended to make Torah available to everybody else. Targum was established as a teaching method so that they could protect the content I want you to understand that. Like they felt like that God had said something to them that was treasured. The problem is, is they had systems in place to protect the content, but they did not understand the content. There were times where God wanted them to be peaceful and they were violent. There were times that God, there was a, there was a time where God had said to them, you are not to have a king. And they were like, we want a king, we want a king. Could you imagine the toddler effect across a nation? Like, I want my ice cream now, I want my... And like, so the nation of Israel as a group was like, we want a king like all the other nations. And God's like, look, if I give him to you, he will take, 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 take from you. There's a whole several chapters just describing the effect of a king. And yet they still chose it anyway, right? So they had content that they wanted to protect, but they weren't even hearing it and understanding enough to walk in it. And so here's, a, here's something that I feel like I might be on an island myself a little bit in saying this, okay? So I can find some other theologians that would agree with me, but I feel like the Sermon on the Mount is a Torah Targum because the people didn't understand what God had asked the nation of Israel to do in the first place, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is looking at a group of people. It's like, here's something written in a language that many of you don't even read anymore, may not understand. And then those that are guarding it don't even understand it. So I'm going to put it into words for you so that you can understand it. So there is a lot of Targum effect in the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at a lot of it over these next couple of months. But it was designed to protect the integrity of that word. It was designed, whether it was one word substituting for another word or a paragraph to describe one word, the heart intent. And I believe this is what Paul is saying to them in this letter of Colossians, is saying to them, grace and peace are two words that need to be unpacked for full maturity in Jesus Christ. So he gives them a targum. 
Let me tell you what the meaning of this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's something that he does. He, he, he credits, and I love the way that Manu pronounced Epaphras' name because a lot of times we come up with some of these names and it gets a little confusing for us and we stumble, therefore we miss the meaning. But when Epaphras is mentioned, did you catch the fact in verse 6 that he's mentioned because of his faithfulness, they heard truth and they what? understood it. Now here's the problem. This is why I took time in the daily window to say we need to be fully present because it does us no good to just hear truth for an hour. We need to hear it and then we need to understand it because hearing and understanding is what brings full maturity, not just hearing alone. And so the the church in Colossae had progressed so much so that Manu was able to read for us a thankful prayer about these people because Epaphras had taken so much time to teach them about Jesus so they could hear and understand and their reputation for hearing and understanding is what they were known for because they were able to say, well, what is the Christian community? What is a group of Christians in a specific city supposed to look like? And Paul was hearing about it and he's like, wow. This is good. So I want to make sure that you reach your fullest maturity and you don't stop where you are. It's important that we also need to understand this. Music is something else we're going to talk about over the course of the year. Because music was always used to reinforce what they already had in their hope. And hope isn't just wishing for something to come, but there was fact-based hope. So they knew things about Jesus, and so that increased their hope. So they sung the truths, to remind themselves of things that they would forget because what in our human condition, what kind of problem do we have? We have a forgetting problem. And if I appreciate a few of my friends who've been around a while that can remember this, but you will hear me say dozens of times this year, it's not that we aren't getting the right information, it's that we're forgetting it, especially when things get hard and the winds blow. And that's why our roots need to be interconnected because if something's happening in your family and, and it's possible with the pressure that you're under, your root system is going to need to depend on my root system and my root system is going to need to remind you of your faith, hope, and love because all you're doing is you're just hoping that you don't come out of the ground. I can't even think right now, let alone be thinking, well, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus want me to do? But yet, it's my responsibility in community to help remind you. It's not just emotions. So much of our music is just emotional-based. And I love a great concert. I love Christian worship concerts. I love when voices and music and instruments move me to want to raise my hands and sing and praise and dance. Like, you're yeah, LSU dance. I have. But here's the thing, is that we don't want it to just be an emotional experience for an hour. It needs to be life-changing, formating me into the, forming me into the image of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we do need a pep rally, but what we most need is consistent practice in our faith, and this is what Paul wanted them to make sure of. So here's my opinion, and I'm going to unpack my opinion over the next several months, okay? I, so you can always disagree with me. I want disagreement. And I want us to be able to wrestle through disagreement because I think that's where we're ultimately going to get the most learning. So here's my opinion. So what are we supposed to do? We're to follow Paul's way of following the law and prophets as seen through Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. That sounds very complicated. 
So here's, the, here's, what I, here's, how I want to, here's how I want to view it. Paul is following Jesus. He's told a group of people to follow him. So we have his writings to them. And while he's writing them, he's referencing the law and the prophets because he's following Jesus. So we're now following Paul, following Jesus, using Jesus to influence the prophets and the law to encourage a church that, that was before us, and we're now following in that tradition. That's why we need to spend months talking about it. Because if our eyes aren't ultimately on Jesus, then we're not going to understand Paul. And then we're not going to understand his references to the prophets and to the Torah. And then we're definitely going to miss out on what it looks like to be a Christian in our generation. So what we need to understand when we're looking at a letter like the church in Colossae is where is Paul focused on Jesus? How is he using Jesus to go get this text from the Old Testament and why was, here's the thing, the people were compelled to join the church. This first century church was growing in a hostile environment, and there was something about the experience Paul had following Jesus, him using Jesus to interpret the Old Testament and prophets that was causing people like Nympha, who's mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, as a wealthy businesswoman who is housing a church in her house telling people that the rich and the poor should be worshiping God together, which was not a Roman practice. She was putting her occupation on the line because she was so compelled that what Paul was saying about Jesus was worth the risk of her losing her fortunes, her lands, and her reputation because Jesus was Lord and not Caesar. And that's why she's mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. And so we have to take some time to get there. And so with that, we need to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. We will be doing that over these next several weeks. You're going to be going to some Old Testament passages, and I hope some Sundays your head's just spinning like, I have never looked at so many verses in one time for some of you. But the other thing is, is we need to indwell their narrative. So Maddie read for us out of Ezekiel this morning. It was a powerful poetic, we're going to get to lay down outside with animals. People are going to be fed. Beautiful poetry. But do you understand the context where Ezekiel was talking about that? Where were the people living and, and what were their conditions like when he's saying this to them? We're going to be looking at the context of passages like that so that when we find the tone of that in the book of Colossians, the people of Israel, or the, excuse me, the early church in Colossae, we would know what they were feeling. We don't want to have just good passages from the Old Testament that mean nothing to us right now in our current context. And their church was growing under horrific things. Rome was permeated by images. Any of you, know, any of you ever done a, a time period study on the Roman Empire and the images, everything from Caesar on the coin to the statues everywhere and all the God statues? They had images, images, images everywhere. They were controlling people through their images. And those images were, were dictating the type of people that they were to be. Paul references that in the book of Colossians because he's saying, no, there's only one person that we should be fashioned into the image of, and that's Jesus Christ. Big statement to be made during the Roman time. All right, so I need to move. So Paul's letter to the Colossians is fundamentally about shaping the imagination of the Colossian church community. He wanted to shape their imagination about what it looked like to follow Jesus. Walter Bergman, a great theologian and writer in his book, Interpretation of Obedience, says this, 
the key pathology of our time, he's speaking present tense, which seduces us all, is the reduction of the imagination so that we are too numbed, satiated, or co-opted to do serious imaginative work. And if you disagree with him and you disagree with me, I just want you guys to understand that there are powers at work in the world that control the information that you're receiving. There are news network controls. These stories run, these stories don't. This is the way we're going to tell this one. We're going to leave this out. There are people making those decisions on your behalf, what information you're supposed to receive. That's a part of the political world we live in, part of the information. But do you also know that there are companies right now that have a lot of money and they want to keep their money? So what do they do? They market to you through images to say, you need my product because I want to continue to be wealthy. It is not because my product is really going to improve your life. It's because I want to maintain my life. And so I'm going to do everything I can to convince you to be a part of my world so that I can prosper. That was the Roman way, by the way. That was what was impacting the church in Colossae. And so studies show that you and I receive daily between 5,000 and 12,000 images a day by somebody else's decision to tell you what you need and want. I just want you to hear that. We have one hour to come to church to hear about Jesus. And if you podcast or listen to Christian music, we might be able to bump that to two hours a week. But listen to how much image of Jesus you get and how much the world is daily telling you that this is the image you should have. This was what was happening in the church in Colossae, but it's also happening very much in our day and time. And it's part of the reason why I want to show you how Israel in the Old Testament how Israel in the time of Jesus and how the church in the first century had a counter plan to all those images and it was a subverting way. It was a subverting way. That's why we're titled this series Subverting. And a lot of times when people think, you have power over me, I don't want you to have power over me, so it's fists up. Peter was that way. They came to get Jesus. Peter drew out some sort of dagger, wanted to say, your power is not going to mess. And Jesus is like, no, I've got another way. We need to learn what subverting looks like. And it's a lot more like a tree root system than it is fighting. Christians are too violent. We're too violent. We're too angry. And we use Jesus's interaction in the temple of turning over tables as our one excuse that Jesus was angry so I can get angry. And we're going to talk about that passage of Scripture in light of what we believe, I believe, Jesus was doing referencing Daniel's writings to the church or to the nation of Israel. So here's, here's, here's the thing. There has to be some sort of subversion. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the shadows of the powers that were influencing the church in Colossae. We'll probably be able to pull some of that into our world. We're going to look at Israel's prophets that wrote evocative and subversive poetry that wove together images. Listen to some of these images of homecoming, restoration, dimly burning wicks of candles, free food and a coming Messiah that was going to do something new. We're going to look at passages where all of those things are referenced and how that impacted the church in Colossae and how it's going to impact us. Because these are prophetic images that break the monopoly that the authorities in our world have over us. We need to understand there are authorities over us that we need to break. 
we need to break if we're going to grow into full maturity in Jesus Christ. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at many of the things Paul intended. We're going to look back to the origin story in Genesis. In the beginning, there was light. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We're going to look at other places in Genesis where there were origin words spoken. We're going to look at the words given to Moses. We're going to look at the prophets in the words they said when they were in exile. We're going to look at what, why was Luke mentioned in Colossians chapter 4? He says specifically, oh yeah, and greetings from the good doctor Luke. Like before there were any good doctors on TV, we had Luke. And the good doctor Luke is mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. And I think that has a powerful shaping because when Luke wrote his gospel, he wrote it for a reason. And that's the gospel account the church in Colossae is reading. We need to look at that. We need to spend some time in that. So there's several other points that we're going to be headed into that we're going to reveal along the way. But the point is, is that we in our time are going to want to give up on Christianity. We have to keep at it. We can't quit. Because if you and I quit, who's going to lead the next generation to want to stay faithful to Jesus? We can't tap out. We must keep enduring. So here's the practical challenge for this week with everything that I've said. I want you to do this this week. I want you to notice the voices and the images that are hitting you this week. Measure them. Write them down. Sit like you're like watching the Ravens game for three hours this afternoon. What are the images? What are the things that are coming at you? Or if you're not interested in the Ravens and you don't watch TV, when you're riding the bus, when you're walking to work, where you're listening to the radio, wherever it is, like what are the images? What is coming at you? What are your coworkers showing you on their phones? What are they sending you as gifts and other little messages that you're receiving? Document it, measure it, think about it. Look at the advertisement that the Meta Corporation is already determining that you need to have. You just realize that? Like my daughter and I were talking about something the other day and the advertisement started showing up on our phones. All right, can I tell you guys this? There are real powers and there are real authorities in this world that want to control you and your thinking and the image you bear and the finances that you spend. But sometimes the finances isn't near the problem. It's the image that we become. And so I want you to capture them. I want you to see what they are telling you is important. Think about it. What are they telling me is important through their images they're sending to me? Notice them, account for them, and learn to talk to your community, our church family, about it. Here's an invitation that I feel like I really want to make, because I don't know everyone in the room, and I'm not sure who all is going to see this online. So just in case it isn't clear today, God has given us a word that encapsulates how much he loves us. And if I could look each of you in the eyes, there is one word that encapsulates how much he loves you. And that one word is Jesus. That word encapsulates. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you are going to be overwhelmed by his love. And so as we get ready to pray, and I'm going to ask Summer and Menu to come up. They're going to sing a song for us before we take the Lord's table. But as we're being still, and you might want to close your eyes again. You might want to, because I know in moments like this, it's, there's movement and there's thinking, and I want you to be able to hear my words, and I want you to feel like it's personally inviting to you. But there is 
a quieting of our posture sometimes where we need to take a deep breath and say, okay, what does this gift of Jesus mean to me? There's a verse in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, and it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I've always found that as a very interesting phrase, if you confess Jesus is Lord. There's something powerful about using your lips to actually shape the words and actually get it outside of your own mind and outside of your body so that it's audible where you, people can hear it. And I believe that there's a reason for that because I believe words are very powerful. What you speak over others, what you speak over yourselves have power. And I believe that that was part of the reason why Paul told the church in Rome that they needed to confess out loud that Jesus was Lord because there's power in that declaration, and that declaration matters. So if you're here right now and you are just tired, tired of looking for love, tired of looking for acceptance, tired of feeling like that nobody really gets me, nobody understands me, that you're, you're, you're tired of the weight of the choices in your life, you need to stop listening to the voices that say you're not worthy, and you need to listen to the voice that says it's through my grace that I want to bring you peace. And I believe that there's some of you here today that need to let that truth be received in your life, where you are like, you know what, Jesus was for me. I need that peace. I need to receive that grace. So if you're listening to me, whether even online or here in the room, I just want to say, is today the day that you need to force your lips to say, Jesus is Lord? Have you ever done that? Is that a, a new thing for you? Have you always been interested in Jesus or curious about Jesus, but you've never been able to step in and say, he is my Lord? Or could we even corporately say he is our Lord because our system of roots is interconnected with one another, whether we choose it or not, we're connected to one another. We need to move our lips, the power of our words, the power of our declaration. Jesus, I give my life to you. You are my Lord. Is anyone in here today need to say that out loud? Don't just sit there and think it between your ears, but do you need to just say today, Jesus, you're my Lord. I want you to know you're my Lord. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. You're my Lord. If this is your confession, I just want to say, man, that's, that's exciting. And I hope that you can say it out loud, even loud enough that people could hear it around you. But if nobody hears you, I want you to tell us. Come up to us after the gathering. If you're at home watching and this is what you're doing, please let us know. Communicate with us. God, I declare you are Lord. You are life. We want to follow you. As others have followed you before us, we want to follow after you. We are so thankful for your grace that has freed us and that has given us the possibility of peace. So, Father, we want to receive that peace that comes with your grace. Would you steady our heart? Would you bind up any lies that are in our heads about who we are or our ability to be loved? Lord, would you free us from the pressures of the images and the temptations of this world? Because, Father, we need peace. And so, Father, would you bring us that peace today? And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church podcast. 
I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.